Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I believe that each person on this planet has a special purpose. And in this episode, I speak with Ken Bradley, who undoubtedly is special. You've heard that phrase, the smartest person in the room. I think that might be Ken. (laughs) While we couldn't talk specifics of his covert job as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, Ken does share how he turned his love of science and math into an interesting and challenging career within the military. This was my first time meeting Ken. My trusted producer, Missy, introduced us, and I was struck by his confidence, dedication, and work ethic. We learn how he navigated his military career, and we also learned how they sponsored three different degrees, including his PhD. Enjoy this episode. work do you I have to dress in uniform uh, usually it depends yeah. on where I go um, some places some places I'm in uniform other places I'm not supposed to be but um, uh-huh. most days I wear a, uni- a uniform at work do you like that like does it take the whole like having to pick stuff or is it like um, you've been doing that for 19 years are you kind of over it <laughs> yeah I, I well I don't mind it I it, it does make decisions easier in the morning uh-huh. um, but sometimes Sometimes it's just more comfortable just throwing on, yeah. you know, even if it's like a button up shirt, it's just because I don't wear a tie, yeah. you know, I just like kind of like this, but yeah, um, it's more comfortable that this is, especially on the hot days. Yeah. Um, um, days like this aren't so bad either way. Yeah. It's gotten, it dropped like ridiculous amount. I think my crazy. Fine. Yeah. The yeah. Um, all right. So maybe we could start with, um, well, I'll introduce you. This is Ken. <laughs> I just forget. I just jump right in. Um, But we can start with um, your role now, and um, you're a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. So um, congratulations on that. That's a really big achievement. And I'm just curious about, maybe we could just start there with your role and what you can anyway describe um, what that looks like in terms of, you know, sort of what's the day in the life of Ken. Sure. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That would be Um, great. Yeah, so um, lieutenant colonels in the Air Force are, you know, different depending on the career field. So in my career field, I'm an acquisitions officer, um, which is my background's engineering and program management. And so a lot of what I do is designing, building, testing um, systems, um, and then um, procuring them. So working with contractors to to go out and um, get the best value for the government or mm-hmm. for the Air Force of okay. the systems that we need. Um, Right now in my role, I'm um, responsible for electro-optics research. And so kind of in that research area, I'm procuring things for the government. Did you say electro-optics? Electro-optics, right. So electronics and, and optics. and. Is this all for airplanes? Like if I think um, Air Force or is it not that like – It can be. Linear, um, so in my, in my previous job, um, before I came back to D.C., I was working with unmanned air systems. So I was working for with the Predators and Reapers. Oh. And um, I, was, I was at the actual contractor side at General Atomics, um, helping them to make the system better and fixing things when we would have problems in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but here I work in a different organization. Right. Not with not with the UAVs anymore. Right. So maybe tell me just a little bit about um, when you started your career in the military. So I, I asked you this before, but I should ask you again for the purpose sure. of the podcast because <laughs> that's yeah, really why we're yeah, here. Um, um, so, so I graduated from high school in 1995. Okay. Um, and at that point, I was just looking for a way to pay for college. And um, I had applied to the Air Force Academy. I applied to West Point. Um, I applied to Army and Air Force ROTC programs. Um, and I applied for academic scholarships as well. Um, and a lot of people may not know this, but, you know, being a white male, um, even with really great grades, um, there's not there's not always um, the best scholarship opportunities just for our demographic. Um, a lot of them tend to be targeted at, at communities that are underprivileged. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my parents made too much money. My dad was in the Air Force as well. So, uh, you know economically we were too well off for me to qualify for more of the need-based type programs um but the air force what they cared about and what the army cared about was you know academics and physical fitness and um, patriotism and things like that and so i kind of checked all those boxes Mm -hmm. and um so i was offered appointments to west point and um received a full scholarship to georgia tech um, our air force rotc and I'm a really big Atlanta Braves fan, so I went with that one and um, ended up in Atlanta wow. and did that and then commissioned in 2001 um, into the Air Force. And so I've been active duty ever since. So with your, you mentioned that your dad was Air Force. So did you know, like in high school, that that was going, like, did you have an, an I guess the first question is, was there an expectation for you to do that? Or was it really when you started looking at schools and you were looking for funding and that's what led to that choice yeah in fact i i had made a decision long ago that i was not going to be in the military you know i I saw how much my dad was away from home i um you know there's there's all the uh, i guess the negative sides of being military um i was always i've always been patriotic but i didn't necessarily um equate that to needing to serve in the military myself. Yeah. I, you know, it wasn't like, hoorah, I'm going to go get a gun and, and go out and fight wars. And, and growing up, I mean, the whole time my dad was in, he was kind of in organizations like what I'm in now, where he really didn't wear a uniform much. He never owned a utility uniform like like we have ABUs now. He didn't wear one of those. Um, he never deployed. Uh, we were at the cold in the Cold War, right? So there was yeah. no real battle rhythm or you know so my whole life growing up with military was i learned about world war one and world war two and etc um but there was really no war during my time right. and so um it changed in 2001 but bait and you know, switch. When I, but when i but when i was making these <laughs> when i was making these decisions it was like you know working for a, a defense contractor or working for private industry or working right. for whoever uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the same kind of sentiment that you probably see now. You know, now that we've been in more of a war, a war footing for for a number of years. Right. Um, so there was no expectation for me to join. Um, I I never thought I would, and and it wasn't until I started looking at. I don't. I want to go away to school. Um, I want to go see the world, but not to see the world like go overseas. To see the world like not live with mom and dad while I'm going to school. Right. Right. And, um, you know, got an opportunity between some academic scholarships and Air Force scholarships that my whole education was paid for. Wow. And um, one of the biggest things about the military that I found is 
they pay for education. They value education. Yeah. And so they pay for all my degrees. I have no student loans. I have a PhD in electrical engineering. Um, um, so prior to going active duty, I spent four years in college getting my bachelor's degree. But then while on active duty, I was receiving a full salary and spent about five, approximately five more years in school getting a PhD. Wow. At um, two different times, you know, went to school. Then I worked a little bit, then went back to school. Um, so the first, what would that have been? Um, probably close to 10 years of my career was working in a lab and academia. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I really didn't do anything other than that for basically 10 years of my 18, going on 19 years now. Where did you grow up? And like, did you grow up in the DC area or? Um, a little bit. Um, my dad was Air Force, right? So um, uh, we, I was, I was born in San Diego when he was, he was in Air Force ROTC at the time. Um, we lived in Ohio for about five years, then back to California, then a couple places in California, yeah. um, then DC, then back to California. And I was living, I was living in California when I finished high school, um, but I started I did middle school and high and two years of high school in the DC area. Oh, and wow. then, um, and then my, my, but like I said, my family's moved back and forth a few times. They moved again after my freshman year of college. And that's when I met Melissa was, was there after my, um, freshman year of college. So was that, well, so many questions. <laughs> so, so did you, um, you had mentioned, I just, this is my first question. You had mentioned West Point and the Air Force, right? So yep. what made you choose Air Force? That's my first question. Okay. And then the second question is, I was just telling you this before we actually started recording, but in terms of the ROTC, what is that like? Like I, I was say, telling him that we hadn't asked, um, haven't talked about that yet on this podcast. So I'm curious, like if you could also describe what that's like, if you were going to go to school and be part of that program and that's where it gives you financial aid right towards your tuition sure yeah so so west point um i, st I started looking at the, their degree programs and what careers would be like in the army um and from what i was reading in all the brochures they were sending me and things like that i like i said i, I had received an appointment I, I could have accepted it and gone um but as i was looking at it and talking it over with my dad i'm like the only thing in here that really interests me is special ops because it just looked exciting mm -hmm. but i'm like but I want to use my brain and I, I want to, I've always imagined I do like engineering and designing things and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, I was physically fit. I, I played sports, but I wasn't the big, I was never the biggest guy. And so um, I was just thinking through that. I'm like, all right, how long can I, can my body handle, you know, that really physically demanding, you know, <laughs> go down that path. Yep. Or, or am I more suited to, you know, go to a place like Georgia where I can have more of a student life? And mm -hmm. um, it didn't take long for me to make that decision. Um, and, and, and I don't regret it at all. I mean, it was definitely the right decision for me. Yeah. And so, um, so I went to Georgia Tech. I, I had a great college education experience. The real difference, um, the biggest difference, I guess, between an academy um, – uh, program and yeah. an ROTC program is academy. You're living at seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, for those four years, you're kind of living there, uh, eating, breathing military. Um, and there's some perks to that. When you, when you get out, there's a respect that goes with that. And, and they tend to have a, you know, higher promotion rate to some of the, the various ranks, but the ROTC program, it's one where 
couple days a week, primarily a couple days a week, we would go and we have what they call leadership lab. And um, we would take courses in, in our case, it's aerospace studies because it's Air Force classes. So it was just like, just like registering for math or English, we would also register for Air Force classes. And we would tend to go to those Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then you could choose to be more or less involved in the mm. program. And I decided to be more involved. I was, you know, part of it was they were paying me to be there. So I kind of felt like, <laughs> hey, I, I ought to I ought to really give back. And so I, I got very involved in it. And after my freshman year, um, they sent me to the academy for, I forget how long it was. It was a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I got my jump wings. I got to, you know, jump out of airplanes and, and get my jump wings. And um, and after, after my junior year, well, after my sophomore year, they sent us to field training. We all go there. And it's kind of like officer boot camp. Mm -hmm. um, and then after my junior year, they sent me, I got selected for Operation Air Force overseas. So I got to go to Aviano Air Base in Italy and fly F-16s and, um, and do stuff like that. And, uh, you know, most of the guys I was with, they were real excited about being pilots. And they were all talking about what aircraft they wanted to fly. And, you know, it was a good experience. You know, jumping out of airplanes was fun. Flying airplanes was fun. But to me, it was like... I could be designing these things instead of flying them and jumping out of them. And for whatever reason, that just interested me more. Right. And they all thought I was weird, which is fine. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess everybody's wired differently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's interesting. So were you, um, in terms of your, I, I mean, I, I think I can connect some dots, but I'm going to guess that academically for you, uh, you did well academically in school and that that yeah. was where you had some strength in terms of the sciences and math. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, I think, I, I think people gravitate towards things that are easy for them or things that uh -huh. they excel at. And, and there's that, there's that natural inclination to, Hey, I'm doing well. I'm known for this. This is who I am. Right. And there's, it's, it's a, um, you know, blessing and a curse, right? It's, it's, you know, when you're that straight A student, then, you can't fail, right? If you don't know an answer or if you think you have to ask the teacher a question, that's just not something you do when you're the straight A student that everybody's looking at. Like, you know, he has to know that. Right. And so I, I remember going through that in middle school. Um, and like, I've never had issues with fear and anxiety and things like that, except in middle school. I remember there was a time where, um, um, there were times where I, I would just get nervous about what if I don't get an A on this test or what if, right? Just stuff that now looking back on it and even, you know, a year or two later in high school when, um, you know, I was able to overcome that. But yeah. around seventh and eighth grade was when I started realizing this is who you are. You're a straight A student and that's what you're known as, right? I, I played sports and I enjoyed sports, but I wasn't, all, I wasn't the best athlete in the school but I was the best student in the school. And mm. that's kind of what I was. Um, I think for me, what helped is I was in the DC area at the time, Northern Virginia, and um, they have a school here, um, uh, Thomas Jefferson. Um, <laughs> and so I applied to that and got in. Ah. And finally being in a school with people that I could feel comfortable that I don't have to be the smartest kid here was like a relief valve. And I could get a B and I could feel okay about it. Right. But, but anyways, that's, yeah. that was, that was kind of my life in high school. So um, I know you'd asked me before kind of prior is, were there any challenges you went through in high school and right. college? And it was really for me 
I guess pre high school. It was it was middle school was was where I kind of went through that phase of trying to accept, you know, how I was and that it and then um, getting over the fact that I don't have to be perfect, right? That that came later. That came in like freshman year of high school. Yeah. So it's interesting too. Like I wonder, um, and you talked about moving, so I'm curious how the what impact that had on you in the middle of high school. Mm-hmm. That's not easy. And TJ is such a, uh, I would think, like for it's such a community of people where you are like minded, and there's a lot of that. Uh, I would think like camaraderie, but also like when you're around people that are more similar to you and sort of think like you. And I would think, so I'm curious, maybe just talk a little bit about like socially what um, your experience was like. If if you were very strong academically, you're more of an analytical sort of mathematical science person. So how were, how was your social life during the time that you were in DC? And then what about transitioning when you moved away? Yeah. So, so when I was in, so when I was in Virginia, um, those, I'll just say those first two years of high school because yeah. I spent two years there at TJ. Yeah. Um, I was I was involved in the band. I was on the wrestling team. Um, I you know did marching band in the fall, wrestling in the winter. Um, in in the in the spring, I, did, I didn't play sports in the spring. Yeah. But um, so socially, I was I was always busy. There was always stuff to do. Um, again, I wasn't the I wasn't the star athlete, and I wasn't the star student. But I, I definitely held my own in both of those areas, and socially, I just felt really comfortable because I was around people um, that were a lot like me. Um, Are you and, were you competitive at that time? Like, is it oh, a, yeah. is it a fairly competitive environment where mm-hmm. in all those things you are you sort of someone naturally that you had talked about being like you figured out you're the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> and so you got to figure out how to live in that space right when you when you are identified as that person but then in these other areas too would you say like just innately competitive i am i am yeah i i I don't know i don't know when that that happens for people i think for me it was probably i don't know three or four but out of the womb um yeah i don't yeah i don't know i i i don't know i guess it's weird because i have kids now and i see them and i i don't get why some of them aren't like i don't it doesn't I was never the best athlete in, in any sport that I loved to play. I, I loved playing baseball, but I wasn't the best baseball player, but I loved it so much that I worked at it and I made sure I was one of the best on the team by just going out. And even if I didn't have anyone to throw the ball to, I would go out, I do all my homework at school. So I'd have time at home to do this. And then I I'd, I'd go outside by myself sometimes and I'd throw the ball and then I was fast. And so I was to see if I could throw it as far as I could throw it and see if I could catch up to it by running to it and catch it. And I would do stuff like that. I mean, just silly stuff, just, you know, working on skills, I guess. Right. Um, I never played baseball in high school. I, I did try out my, um, I waited till my senior year. I tried out my senior year. Um, our school in California was state champions and I'm like, a bunch of my friends were on the team. And so I played with them for, till they cut me. At the very end of tryouts, <laughs> just to do it, just to yeah. do it. But, um, um, but yeah, I've, I always, I always love sports. Um, I don't even remember what the first question was. Yeah. But... So I guess the question then as you, so it felt like socially you were comfortable and you were happy at TJ and, oh, yeah. and things were sort of like sinking in terms of like that experience of where you have, you know, you're strong academically and then socially. And then what about moving to California? Was that a hard transition? <laughs> You know, it, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Um, 
it was it was hard in some ways. I think I think the initial the initial announcement from my dad, I guess, that hey, we're going to move, yeah, was kind of like, um, no, I'm going to school here, right? <laughs> but um, you know, we all salute smartly and you know, hop in the car. <laughs> um, but 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 you know, once once we got out there, and um, you know, I, I went from eight classes a day, you know, three hours of homework a night. Yeah. Um, sports, everything else to maybe five classes a day. Our school is known for, you know, other stuff like surfing and, um, you know, uh, yeah. sport. I mean, the sports were, were big. I stopped doing band because the band wasn't, well, there's people watching this that went to that school. I'm going to say something maybe derogatory. This, this band was not that good relative to what we had in Virginia. Yeah. And, and I remember hearing them when I got there. I'm like, that band's not very good. And, and then when I found out there were only five classes I could take, I'm like, but I want to take all these college classes because that's just what I had planned to do in Virginia was take like seven college AP classes or whatever every year. And, and so, so anyway, that was, that was kind of my thought was I'm just going to cram all these classes in, which I only had room for five because that's all they let you take. And school was like, it felt like two hours less per day of school and then plenty of free time. I mean, it was, I don't know. Um, but I'll tell you this, it was a, it was a nice break. It was almost like a two year vacation from mm. college. And then I was ready for college and I wasn't burned out. And yeah. and then I went like, what would that be? Four plus two years, like six years, almost straight yeah. of school after yeah. that, before I took a break again and then went back for my PhD. So, um, socially it, it was different moving in as a, as a junior, um, mm-hmm. The, the church group that we had, um, both in Virginia and then when I moved to California, was strong, the youth group there. So that was that was good. Most of my friends were there. Um, most of my high school friends my junior year were seniors because I was in all their classes. Mm-hmm. And so I knew all the seniors. And, um, and then they all graduated. And so then I had to get to know, you know, right. <laughs> the people my age, you right. know, for the last year. And, right. um, aside from the ones that were in, in uh, church with me which I knew for, for both years, but, um, uh, and is that community really the community of people that you spent time with in terms of like your social activities or did you, um, integrate more broadly with, you know, other people in your class? Um, I didn't integrate, I didn't integrate too much. I, um, so I, I had a lot of free time, but because I had a lot of free time, um, I was also getting older and so I could start working. And so, um, right. I started working, I, I would work, um, usually one job during the school year. And then I'd usually work two jobs during the summer. Um, like one year, one summer I worked at a law firm, uh, doing some stuff. And, and another year I worked for the city of Huntington beach in their engineering department, um, doing civil engineering work for them. Um, just kind of, you know, making a little cash and then, and then I'd work, um, at a fast food restaurant to make a little extra money. So, um, I mean, there were weeks I was working 80 plus hours a week That's and that amazing. hasn't really changed, you know, as I've gotten <laughs> Wait, How many siblings do you have? <laughs> siblings? I have three. And where are you in that? Are you the oldest? No, I'm the second oldest. Yeah. Um, my sister's about a year older and I'm a, about a, a year young. Uh, my sister's about a year older than me and I'm a year almost older than my brother. Are and your, then we have a younger sister. Are your siblings as driven and as like, um, motivated isn't the right word, but I would just say everything you're describing is that you're like innately a very hard worker. You're super motivated and achievement oriented. So 
Is that yeah. something that's pretty consistent in your family or would you say you're a little unusual, relatively I, speaking? I think, I think to varying degrees, it's, it's similar in all of us. Um, I, th I think we're all driven in different ways. Yeah. Um, my sister was more social than me. Like she was the more the social butterfly. She was, she'd go out on dates. She'd do the dances. She dragged me along the stuff. Right. Um, my brother was more academic like me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and he, I don't know, we, we were close in age. We shared a room. We were about 10 months apart. I mean, we were kind of that close. Yeah. Um, you're apart in school, but, um, he was, I think most people would say he was smarter than me. Um, I, th I think academically he did really well. Um, I'm not sure he was, and even to this day, I don't know that he's as driven as me, um, competitive wise, mm -hmm. but he was competitive. Right. Um, and he was really good at, at sports and academics, but we, other than wrestling, we never really competed against each other. Mm -hmm. And and with that, it, it was only one season and then he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, but everything else, we kind of had our own kind of lane that we ran in. Yeah. I did, like, in, we both did track, but I was, I did long jump and triple jump and some sprints and he did pole vaulting mm -hmm. and he was one of the best pole vaulters at the school and I was one of the best jumpers at the school. So in terms of confidence, you talked about that middle school period maybe being somewhat difficult or you had some anxiety. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is we, I do ask a lot of people about that period of time because I feel like both middle school and high school is a pretty be like most people have some sort of experience during those years that has shaped them in some way. And so if people are listening, I hope that if they hear similar stories or they see themselves in the story and recognize that it's just a moment in time and it's not a life sentence. But it sounds yep. like you're a fairly confident person most of your life. Yep. Um, and that that really sort of only showed up kind of during that middle school period where you were kind of tested. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds right. I mean, um... You know, that was the only time in my life that I ever felt bullied. I, I'd been teased mm -hmm. off and on throughout my life, which I kind of just accepted as jealousy. And, um, you know, I just kind of brushed it off. It, it It's never bothered me if, mm -hmm. if someone didn't like me or wanted to say something bad about me. Um, I have enough self-confidence that it just didn't it just doesn't affect me the way it affects other people, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but there was there was one time where there was a boy who. And he was like kind of like the class clown. He was a funny kid. He was popular. I actually liked him. We we did stuff together. We went on campouts and and for whatever reason. And he would he would tease me and kind of in more of a bullying way. And that was in like seventh or eighth grade, I guess. And and I remember one time I was um, it really upset me. And and it was almost like I wanted to just like beat him up, but I knew it was wrong. And I was just conflicted inside, like. I know I can take him. I wrestle. I can, you know, just end this right here. <laughs> but, but the, you know, the, the good angel on the other shoulders is like, no, that's not how you do things. And I remember going home and, and I, I, I'm not an emotional person. I don't cry. And I remember going home and I was like crying and talking to my dad about it and just like kind of venting to him. Mm -hmm. And I, I think he knew, you know, kind of what I was going through and, and, um, um, I think he knew what he needed to tell me, which was, look, I, I don't advocate fighting, but if, if you're in a situation where he gets physical with you, it's okay for me if you just do what you need to do to, you know, end the situation. And that was all I needed to hear. So the next day at school, 
when he started um, teasing me, I basically told him, I said, look, I've talked to your dad about my dad about things. And he knew my dad because my dad was a scoutmaster when we'd go on campouts and stuff. Right. I'm like, I talked to my dad. He knows you. He knows me. He knows how you're treating me. And he basically said, if I need to deal with it, I, I can't. So you let me know how you want to handle this. But, you know, and, and it ended. Right. And, and, you know, as, and as a parent, I remember I was in I was in Afghanistan deployed at the time and my son was dealing with some bullying type stuff. And I gave him kind of the same advice. I think he was in fifth or sixth grade when I was overseas and said kind of the same thing to him. Um, and he like pummeled this kid on the play yard. And my wife's like, did you seriously tell him to do that? And I said, well, no, I just kind of gave him fatherly advice. And, you know, so we all handle it differently. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I'm not a violent person, but, right. you know, I, I try to use words and, you know, deal with it that way. But. But yeah, I think junior high, I think junior high is rough for a lot of people. I, you know, I wouldn't say my experience is, is more yeah, difficult right. than anybody's. I, I, I think if I were to look back on my life, I'd say I had a pretty easy childhood. I had an easy, you know, upbringing. Yeah. Um, if the worst thing that happened to me was some little kid teased me and, you know, uh, you know, I got good grades. So people made fun of me. I mean, <laughs> there's worse things, right? Right. So, um, I think that's true. Although I think when you're in it. And depending yeah. on, like you said, that you weren't necessarily a super sensitive person, but I think depending on that moment when you're in it, it can kind of feel like it's everything because that's, yeah. you don't have a life experience to uh, compare it to. And so you just, yeah. you know, it feels very insular, I think, if, if you're in yeah, that I think, I think for me, it was just the, the frustration, right? Because I'm, I'm more of a logical person mm -hmm. and it's like, and the, it was almost like the emotional side of me was fighting against the logical side of me, right? The logical side saying, just talk to him. Don't let him get to you. And then the emotional side saying, I want to do something about this. Right. And it was just that conflict inside that I didn't know what to do. Right. It was like sure. one of the first times in my life that I actually didn't know the answer to a problem that I was dealing with. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I asked, you know, I think that's what parents are for sometimes. Yeah. And, and you know, not to get too deep, but I do feel like, especially with boys, um, and maybe it's changing a little bit, but it's this, it's contradictory. If you're like a good person and you have like, you're like a good heart and you have good intentions and then you're being challenged in a way where everything society has pretty much positioned you like in order to take care of business, right? You've got to be sort of a strong guy that can stand up to other guys and, and have, you know, go to fisticuffs if, if, if yeah. right? And so it's just, yeah. I can imagine, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? Like if that's sort of eventually where it leads and then you have to make that and, call. And I've, and I've never been in a fight. I mean, yeah. I've, I've gone through my whole life. I mean, I'm 42 now. I've never once gotten in a fight, you know? I mean, I wrestled, I mean, but that right. was just sport, right? But I've never... That's I don't so interesting. Think I've ever, and I don't given, think I've ever thrown a punch. Given your background, you're a well-trained person that could yeah. absolutely <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I handle mean, I, business. Had I, did I know you I can. Have... I just haven't needed right. to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's a good thing, right? I'm, I'm yeah. not saying, you know, I want to go find something to right. do. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah. So for the from a military perspective, I'm curious about um, at any point, like, so once you're in ROTC and you are engaged in that way, like, do you still, you make a, like, I know you make a commitment to go into that program, but then is there any choice as you graduate, whether you're, I mean, are you like, you've already signed some sort of commitment by doing that program? Or I guess the question is like, are you actively committing to the Air Force after you graduate? Or that was already pre-decided based on your commitment that you made to go into 
ROTC? Yeah, so so um, I mentioned field training before, which happens um, after the sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of us that were on scholarship, um, we make a commitment when we sign up for the scholarship. Right. But after the after the freshman year, they give you an an option to leave. Right. So I could oh. I could have gone for one year, had all of my education paid for for that first year, and decided, you know what. I tried it. The Air Force just isn't for me. Um, I don't want to do this anymore. And I would have given up my scholarship, but I wouldn't have to pay back that first year. Um, and then, and then the other thing that happens for everybody else is after that second year, once you've gone to field training, and then even non-scholarship cadets have kind of committed at that point, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes a almost like an enlistment, right? More of a, an official enlistment for everybody to where you're really committing at this point that you're going to go through with this. And then junior. it's a four-year commitment um, to the Air Force after graduation. Okay. And if you chose to walk away, they could they could choose to send you, you know, enlist you, right? If you, for whatever reason, just didn't want to finish school, for example, they could say, well, you don't need a, a bachelor's degree to enlist in the Air Force. And they'd bring you in as probably a uh, A1C or a senior airman or something and, you know, send you off to your first assignment or they could have you pay back your, your scholarship or something else. But, um, but I, I knew several guys that they did the one year, got the free education for a fresh, their freshman year and then said, this really isn't for me. And, um, Georgia tech has a really good co-op program mm-hmm. and you can start that after your, during your sophomore year. So they would go a semester to school, then work a semester in industry and back right. and forth and, it kind of paid for the education that way. And right. a lot of guys I knew did that. Did you have any fear at that point? Or were you like, yeah, I'm just going to do like at any point? Because I would think, I mean, I know your experience, at least with your own situation, like your dad wasn't going to have to fight, right? So you didn't really see that as um, maybe a potential. But at any point, are you like fearing going and making that kind of commitment and what that could mean? No, and I, I think, you know, like I said before, um, you know, I, I grew up in an era where people didn't go to war, right? I yeah. mean, joining the military was putting on a uniform and going to the office or, you know, if you're a pilot, going and doing training missions. But, um, you know, I, 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 I grew up, I, I mean, we had, you know, Desert Storm, you know, right. in middle school and I saw that. Um, that was Army, right? I mean, that wasn't, there weren't a lot of Air Force guys, you know just my perspective, right. Uh, you know, growing up was, yeah. you know, just mostly seeing my dad and thinking, all right, well, it's not a big deal. So I, I didn't, I didn't think of it from that perspective too much. You know, I think part of the training is, is understanding the commitment you are making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at least academically we were learning, here's what you're really committing to. And, and here's what you're expected to do, um, as you join. And then, you know, it was, I was in my first assignment, just barely, there at my first assignment when September 11th happened. And then uh, here I am, this young lieutenant, and, you know, it kind of set my career off in a, you know, kind of different direction. Yeah, that's got to be pretty overwhelming. And then at that point, are you, is it just like you're in it and so you're just sort of experiencing it? And are you like freaking out like, I want to get out? <laughs> No, 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 the opposite. It was, it was almost like that's when the patriotism hit. Right. Uh, I mean, it was, that's why I say it's, I think it's different for, for kids after September 11th than it was for me, for me growing up in high school, it was kind of like, yeah, I could do the military like my dad, or I could do something else. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that happened and it was kind of like, all right, this is what we trained for, you know? And, you know, on, on my side, it was more, you know, developing weapon systems and, um, you know, working on predators and reapers and other assets. But, um, for other people, it's, you know, let's go over there and do something, you know? And when did you meet your wife? Like, at, at how old were you when you met your wife? And how old was I? I was I was in my junior year of college. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was in my junior year of college. So I don't know how old I was, but and then twenty-one when, maybe. When did you get? When did you get married? Uh, right after graduation. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we had we had been dating for about a year and a half, almost a year and a half when we got married. And how has that, I mean, that's probably a longer conversation, but just generally like, you know, that having that kind of relationship, you have a lot of kids, like in terms of the moving for you or being deployed, how has that been from, from that experience? Um, so it wasn't what we planned. Right. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't join the military with the intention of making it a career. I mean, I never intended Uh, to join the military, um, from the start. Um, but, but then once I did, and once I met her and, um, and you don't know my wife, but she's from Chile and, um, in Chile, the military is not necessarily viewed favorably by a mm-hmm. lot of people. Um, not our military necessarily, but military in general, because of everything they've, they've gone through as a country with, um, the military be controlled, being controlled by dictators at times. Right. And so she and her family, it, it, it wasn't like me marrying into a family who, were like super you know, like Melissa's family who was like yeah let's go yeah. army or whatever right um it was it was marrying into a family that was like you're marrying a military guy right and so there was a little bit of that um there was also a little bit of I moved around a lot she moved from Chile to Atlanta and stayed there and kind of grew up from the age of seven all the way through high school um you know in in essentially the same school with the same friends and she kind of wanted that for her kids and it sounded like something worth doing and so that was kind of our thought was all right well i I owe a commitment to the military they're gonna at this point they'd already accepted me to go get a master's degree and they were going to pay for that so with a master's degree in electrical engineering i should be able to land a job somewhere let's go do that so that was our plan so we got married with the thought of you know Four and a half years from now, you'll have a master's degree, you'll pay off your commitment, and we can settle down somewhere. Right. And then, you know, life happens and you have kids. And um, our, our oldest was born with cerebral palsy. Mm. Um, his medical expenses were unbelievable. And, you know, I'm a math guy, so I did the calculation and figured out I need to stay in. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am. Yeah. <laughs> 19 years later. 19 years later. <laughs> still paying. Thank God now. for math. Thank God for math. <laughs> but no, but, but seriously, I, I can't complain. I mean, it, it's been an awesome career. Um, yeah. I, I've had, I've had really good experiences. I've had really good jobs. I've, um, um, you know, I'm always the type of person I, I believe you, you grow where you're planted. Um, mm-hmm. you know, from the church side, we talk, you know, magnify your calling, right? do the best you can in what you're given. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to do that. I, I have a strong work ethic and um, I am competitive, but not, not competitive. Like I need to make that next rank. Um, right. I mean, some of that, I, I need to make whatever rank I need to make to retire. That's, that was my goal. But you know, I, I'm not going to climb over somebody to 
make colonel or general. That wasn't in my nature. I just, I, I'd rather, I'd rather do the jobs I wanted to do that I enjoyed mm-hmm. and accept whatever rank came with that. Yeah. than then, you know, check all the boxes and go to all the training and stuff that I didn't want to do. And so I never worked any assignments I didn't want to do. And, um, everyone I worked for, um, has always liked me enough to give me strong recommendations that I've always worked in selective command organizations. So, yeah. um, so that's been fun. So I feel like that's such an important point because, uh, for a long time when I was, you know, more formally in human resources in the corporate world, I'd see a lot of people fall to this idea of, you know, so focused on promotion and not enough in the experience that they're having. Um, yeah. You know, so there's like, there's a lot to gain from just being in the experience and actively working hard to be the best you can be in that experience. And then yeah. I have found over and over again, both personally, but just watching people professionally, the people that excel, the people that get promoted, that, you know, are the ones that just handle the opportunities they're given and do the best that they can and build good relationships and then, you know, the rest. So it's like the journey is important and to just be so focused on the end goal can sometimes be limiting. Yep. I agree. Yeah. So I'm curious because I, I know I, I shared this with you earlier. Just, um, I have this passion for soft skills development and for, um, really it's, it's a little bit of like a, um, crusade around, helping people understand the importance of soft skills and what I mean by that is communication, which there's a lot that falls into communication, but primarily am I able to articulate to you um, how I want something to happen? Am I able to influence you through that? How, how am I at presenting information? How am I at collaborating and, you know, working with others essentially? And so I'm curious as someone who is very analytical and mathematical and, you know, a lot of people have said to me, you know, you got to really focus on sort of the tech side of things and sort of go mm-hmm. after engineers and analytical folks because they are more lean that way than necessarily yeah. the, the the social skills way. But And so I'm curious for you as someone who innately is strong in that area, you know, is that something that you've developed over time? Is that something that you came naturally or even has it something that you found valuable? Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting because, um, I, I am an engineer. I work with a lot of engineers. Um, and although I consider myself an engineer, I'm not, I'm not the typical engineer, right? I'm not the stereotypical engineer. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Um, I'm good at math. I'm good at science. Um, but I'm not, you know, one of the one of the things that that I focus on, especially as I've moved up in my career, is is I've gone from academia and working in a lab where the leadership side of it and the communication side of it, uh, at least verbal communication, right? Written has to be there, but the verbal communication isn't quite as necessary when you're younger and not in charge of people. Right. But as I've moved up and I've become um, grown into positions where I'm hiring people to work for me and I'm developing them and I'm training them and mentoring them and trying to get them to become what I see as their potential. Right. Um, the soft skills are everything. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. It, it doesn't matter how smart I am and how well I can do math. If I can't explain to a general why this matters, 
Mm-hmm. There's not going to be dollars coming to me to do it, right? If I can't explain to a warfighter why they need this system or how to use this system that I'm developing for them, it's not going to happen. And if I can't fight for the budget, if I can't play the politics with Congress and with all the powers that be, the staffers that I have to deal with and kind of ex- explain, here's why this is important. Um, so the soft skills are important. Um, one of the things I, tr- I try to develop in the people that work for me is is value that because it doesn't come naturally for most engineers. Most engineers, um, they just want to play with the technology. Mm-hmm. And some of them struggle with communicating and 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 understanding your audience. I, I think one of the one of the best things I ever learned, and I learned it young, was how to communicate to my audience and how to read my audience. Mm-hmm. I know when I'm in a crowd or speaking in front of a crowd, I know whether they're academic types and they want me to dig deep into into Einstein type stuff and Maxwell's equations and things like that. Right. And I, I know if I'm with a bunch of guys that are poli sci types who, you know, they just want to know how does this matter in the world, right? Yeah. What you're telling me. And I, I think that's a skill set that it's critical. I mean, there's there's nothing that, that I do now in the position I'm in now um, that that can't um, that can be done without the soft skills. That's excellent. We'll be taking that sound bite <laughs> and it's like spreading it across the world now. I, I, I completely agree. And, and I've talked a lot about, you know, you can be a, a very strong individual contributor, but if you want one to make more money, because you, yep. if you want to evolve, if you want to, so, to the, so there's a financial barrier if you can't do it. And then just from a leadership perspective, all those things you just described, you can't lead, you can't create yeah. followership if you can't communicate and if you can't influence and that yeah you know, it's persuasive speaking like correct correct i i can i can write a, a really technical paper that nobody can understand right and you know i can i can put it on my bookshelf and be proud of that but if i want that technical paper to become a system that gets used for something yeah. at some point i have to convince somebody and ultimately congress to fund it right yeah yeah <laughs> to let me build it Absolutely. and that's that's the skill that I developed early in my career was figuring out, you know, how to talk to generals and just um, and colonels and and explaining to them. Um, the other thing I've learned is that not only not only am I not the smartest guy in the room, but if I am the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room, right? Um, I I hire people yeah, so to be good. smart, right? Yeah. Um, I, I can't be the smartest guy, or I'm not doing my job if, you know. Um, I can be good at, I can be the best at something, but right. I need people around me that are better than me at things. Um, and I can be the voice to push the organization forward. I can be the person that fights whatever battles I can fight at my rank that they can't at theirs. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, one of the things that, that I value the most is figuring is reading people and knowing who's going to be the best person for this job and bringing those people in and then helping them develop in a way that I need them to develop to do what we want to do. Right. And um, again, that soft skills. I mean, none of that is, you know, yeah. I'm not looking at a resume and just checking like, all right, he got a 3.9 on this class, right? Yeah. You know, some of that, is, I, I bring guys in now that they're pretty much coming straight out of school. And, you know, often they don't, they don't really understand the expectations of the workplace. 
let alone know what it is like to be in the military. And so I have to, you know, rewind myself of several years to when I was yeah. that naive and, and realize that I've got this guy that's really bright, but he doesn't know anything. Right. And, and I've got to train them. And I've got to make them in a very short time to be as good as me at certain things or better. Yes. And I and, think it's an investment. And I think one of the things you talked about, which is so important that I'm really trying to help people understand is that you can develop the skill. So it's not like just because you're extroverted, you're good at it. I, I've been, I was super extroverted as a kid. It's still a skill just because I'm good with people. You still have to spend time, be intentional, learn from others, see who's doing it well, parrot that or figure out how you can get someone like that to mentor you. And it's practice. It's not just, Oh, she's great with people. And then all of a sudden you can influence a room. So I think, it's a skill that you need to spend time just like you do your hard skills. Yeah. And, and you may not know this, but I'm not an extrovert. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am an introvert. Right. And, and most of us are, most of us that engineers are introverts and it is, it is draining for us to, to use those soft skills sometimes. Sure. Right. Um, I, I get some energy out of it. Um, now I've, I've developed to the point where, um, I can be energized by some of the stuff that I do, but, um, you know, I'm not the kind of person, if I go to a party, I'll fall asleep. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I come home from a party and I'm, I'm ready to crash. My yeah. wife comes home from a party and she's ready to party. Right. You know? Right. And you know, that's why I know I'm not an extrovert, but, yeah. um, but, but yeah, I mean, but you have to be able to communicate with people and, uh, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, you know, I've spoken in front of huge audiences before. Um, yeah. and, and I'm, and I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable in that way. In fact, I'm probably more comfortable in a big crowd than I am in a small one. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm very much more comfortable with if I'm talking about something I'm very familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, but I can wing it too, you know, because I've just worked on that over sure. time. Sure. Right. So I um I mean I feel like we covered a lot of territory. I really appreciate you spending time with me and. Um, it's late in the evening and it's very nice of you to, to give up some time. I, I think one of the things I like to ask people are, um, as you think back to um, either, you know, your sort of middle school, high school self, or even more like when you first entered into um, the military and the workforce, like, is there anything in terms of counselor advice that you would give yourself um, now that you are where you are now and, and you have your life experience, is there anything that you would say to help you get along a little easier? Um, yeah, I mean, looking, looking back more to the junior high years, I guess. Um, and, and, and as I've gotten older and, and dealt with teenagers, um, not just my own, but, you know, yeah. teenagers from church and in the community that are dealing with things like depression, anxiety, those types of things. Um, I would just say to them, like I would have said to myself back then, um, that, you know, a lot of times it's, you've got expectations, right? And you're not meeting those and that's what's driving you down, whether it's depression or anxiety or, or whatever. And, and just to recognize that you just got to do the best that you can do and just accept whatever it is and don't worry about what other people think about you, right? If for me, it was everyone thinks I'm a straight A student, I have to live up to that, right? Mm -hmm. Who cares what they think? I mean, that's really, right. um, 
and, and I think in general, that's what's helped me throughout my life is not caring what other people think about me. And mm-hmm. it's not that I don't care about people, right? It's just their opinion of me matters less to me than my opinion of myself. And, and it didn't take me long to develop that, but I see people that struggle to develop that their whole life that, you know, I, I see people my age yeah. that are still more worried about what someone they don't know writes about them on Facebook or wherever, then it's like, who cares? Why does it matter if that person thinks some negative thing about you? Um, but, Can I ask just to follow up to that? So how, how did sure. you cultivate that? Do you, was there anything intentional that you did or is it, yeah, you know, I, I, is it related to faith? Like what, what is it that helps you? Because that's a, to your point, I, I think that's a pretty mature, advanced, is it military too? Like, is it how the military, like, I wonder if there's confidence in how they train military, and develop you? It's, so for, for me, I think it was probably ninth grade, eighth or ninth grade, where I started to, started to think that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I just recognized that I was different than other people, right? That I enjoyed math, right? That's weird. Um, I, I liked doing science. I actually liked going to school, right? So I knew there were things about me that were different mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I enjoyed people and I enjoyed hanging out with people, but if I didn't get invited to a party because I wasn't going to do the things that they wanted to do, I was okay with that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think at some point you just have to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's hard for people sometimes, but And I think for me, it was because the logical part of my brain is much more powerful than the emotional part of my brain Mm -hmm. that I was able to shut that stuff off a lot easier and I could reason through it and say, these thoughts really aren't helpful. And, um, and it's, and it's probably why I struggle to help people that struggle with anxiety and depression because my advice is just quit it, right? Quit (laughs) feeling that way. But that's not, I mean, psychologists would tell me that's really wrong. (laughs) But right, right, but, right. But that's that's what worked for me, and it's not going to work for someone who's more on the emotional side, right? Right. right. Um, or someone that really craves that positive, you know, the likes on Facebook, right? If if you're craving that, me telling you not to crave it isn't going to help you. Right. You just have to somehow, I guess, come to grips with the fact that that's not as important as do you feel good about yourself. Yes, and I think too your your point about leaning in on the things that you're good at and the things that you like doing and the things that feel good when you're doing them. And so for you at that time to be like, I'm good at math and I like it and I like going to school. Whereas like, is that necessarily socially popular at that time? Because isn't everybody supposed no. to hate school and everybody's supposed to hate math? But like the fact that you're like, you know, I think a lot now has come out in the last you know five years, in, at least in the corporate space around let's really have people lean in on their strengths versus try to fit people into like square peg round hole. Like here's the job and let's like white knuckle through the things that aren't necessarily that you don't enjoy. So there's this balance of like everybody has things in their jobs that aren't like entirely joyful, but there's definitely things you do or where you lean in and it feels great or in school and like celebrate that and spend time in that and find people that also like doing that because that's where you find community, I think. Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been really enjoyable speaking with you and I find your story fascinating and I just really appreciate your time. 
Sure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ken. I like that we got to talk in depth about the ROTC process. And I also enjoyed hearing someone talk so confidently about their strengths and not shying away from using them or hiding them to fit in. Thank you for listening and thank you to my producer, Missy. As a reminder, if you like this discussion, please subscribe and rate Relatable on iTunes. You can also leave us a comment there or on our website, Teresa Freeman Associates. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and we also have a TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.